Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. In the middle, well, we're going to wrap up this uh, little three-part series that we've been focusing on this person in the Old Testament named Abraham, and uh, we've been looking at God's call on Abraham. Abraham uh, is known as the father of faith. Uh, actually, mo- all monotheistic uh, traditions can trace their roots back down to this one man, Abraham, and uh, we've been looking at God's call on his life and kind of breaking it down in a few different ways. I just wanted to give uh, a little more background in lieu of a, kind of an intro story. I, I, uh, in, in looking back, I, I realized I didn't give much of a uh, true background into Abraham himself. So uh, I just wanted to do that a little bit. So uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Genesis. That's where we're camping out on, specifically around maybe chapter 11. Um, and, uh, but just kind of put Abraham in a little context um, this is after the fall. Uh, this is uh, uh, after they were expelled from, mankind was expelled from the garden. There was judgment by God, uh, toil on the land, uh, pain in childbirth. Uh, and then it goes on, and then it looks like civilization grew. Uh, it grew so wickedly. Uh, it even says that nothing was impossible to them. There was a civilization uh, before that it looks like it was pretty advanced, uh, and then came God's judgment with a flood. Uh, so the flood had happened, uh, then there was um, the Tower of Babel and the scattering of mankind's uh, language, and then it pivots right in Genesis 12. It kind of goes from creation of the universe up to this guy Abraham in 11 chapters. And right at chapter 12, it pivots and focuses uh, for really the rest of the book on this man, Abraham, and his family. And so, uh, picking up in, verse, uh, in, in Genesis 12, verse 1, God calls Abram. Now, uh, Abram and Abraham is the same person. Uh, Abram was uh, who he was kind of when first God first got a hold of him. And then later, God changes his name. And we'll get to that as to why he does, but um, here God shows up to this man Abram, and uh, let's put it in a little bit more context. Abraham was from this uh, land called Ur of the Chaldeans. Um, back then, it was where God it was where God originally called Abram. Ur was a prosperous and advanced pagan center in southern Mesopotamia. This is about 200 a mile southeast of Baghdad, so in Iraq, kind of in, and it, there was a great ziggurat, which is kind of like a, uh, it, was, it was a temple, uh, kind of like a pyramid, but it was cut off, and, the, and there was no internal chambers, it was just like basically a, a glorified mound, and that's where they would kind of worship these, these, this pagan society. Uh, it was the most golden age during Abraham's time. So when Abraham was in Ur, it was a big metropolitan area, a lot of comfort. Uh, He had a big family. He was uh, quite well off. And then God shows up into Abram's Abram's life 
Uh, and his father and grandfather, they worshiped false gods. They didn't, he didn't have any model before him of what does it look like to walk with God. There was no person around to model for him what does it look like to walk after God. It's just this man, and God chooses him. And here's his choosing. He says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God is raising up a nation for himself. Uh, If you read uh, earlier in Genesis, it's that God gave over the nations to these fallen Elohim. And then God raises up a nation in the midst of these disobedient nations so that he could reveal himself to this one people. And through this one people, he would take the nations back, but in a very interesting way. So he leaves with his family. Abram leaves with his family, but a few others kind of go with him. Um, his nephew, Lot. Uh, God didn't mention anything about uh, Lot to take him. He just said, you and your family. Uh, but Lot is kind of by extension, his family's nephew comes, and uh, he kind of proves to be a little bit of a hassle. Um, and uh, so they go down to Egypt. Uh, there's kind of an encounter down there. They come back towards Canaan. He and Lot split. Basically, they're kind of his people and Abraham's people couldn't really get along. And so Abram, just being kind of the mightier of the two, said, hey, you choose the land that you want to camp out in because we can't, we can't continue this. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had a relationship like that. but um, So he gives Lot the choicest land. Uh, it was the most fertile land. And so Lot goes off, and that's where Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are in the uh, Jordan Valley. And uh, Lot chooses there, and then Abraham uh, goes out into the desert, and this is where he kind of wanders uh, for the whole of his life. Uh, really, God gives him this promise of this land, this promised land, uh, but he himself never saw the promise fulfilled in his lifetime. Um, so uh, anyway, they finally arrive at Canaan where, again, he's, uh, he's going to uh, sojourn or, or wander around uh, for the rest of his life. The journey from Ur, where he started, to Canaan, is about 1,500 miles. So maybe about here to Columbus. You know, 1,500 miles. Um, Then God shows up in Genesis 15. So he's taken his family out. They've gone through this whole journey. And then God shows up to him again in Genesis 15, verse 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. I like this. But Abram said, O Lord God, What will you give me, for I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. So Abram is like pretty straight up with the Lord. Like, hey, man, you promised uh, for many descendants that we're going to be a blessing, uh, yet I don't have any. And so the Lord replies, uh, and uh, 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 the Lord replied to, uh, where, where were we? And we brought him outside. Oh, remember the household, the Lord, the Lord came to him. Boom, there I am. 
This man shall not be your heir. Your own, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So here's this man, childless, got a promise by God that you're going to be so fruitful, that you're going to be a blessing to the nations. And yet here, God shows up and he says, hey, you're, going to, you're a great man, your, your reward's going to be great. And then he got really honest with God. And he said, yes, but where's that promise? And God said, hey, the, the, it's not going to go to, I'm going to give you your own. And it says in that moment, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. One of the most quoted uh, scriptures in the New Testament is right there. God had a plan and a promise to fulfill. But yet right after this, it seems like something happens with Abram. And his wife offers up a different plan. And his wife offers up a different plan in that, hey, I've been kind of barren all these years. Doesn't seem to be anything happening. Uh, I'm in my 80s. You know, they're pretty old. Their kind of thought was, hey, naturally kind of thinking, hey, it's, the, the, it's over, okay? So why don't we, uh, Abram, why don't you, here's, here's my servant girl, Hagar, why don't you sleep with her kind of, I approve, so it's kind of all, but why don't you kind of sleep with her so that you can have a child and your line can extend? Uh, and so that's kind of what happens. And uh, this uh, Hagar births Ishmael. Ishmael um, is, is, is a child from their own doing, from their own making. And 13 years later, Ishmael is now 13. So for 13 years, Abram's kind of thinking, this is the plan. We kind of like, this is kind of what happened. The wife suggested some things and didn't really hear that from the Lord, but hey, there's been kind of silence from God for 13 years. So it must be we're on the right track. So kind of like, hey, he's going along. Uh, and then we find a Genesis 17 where God kind of corrects his understanding. Genesis 17, verse 1. And this is the verse that we've been kind of camping out on uh, the last two weeks. But a little bit more context, so there you go. Verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Man, so God shows up in this third kind of act to kind of give his kind of final charge that, hey, you're, 
you've been growing, you've been walking with me, but here I'm giving you this final invitation, this call to walk before me, to live in intimacy before God, to be blameless. We looked at that that's walking with integrity, not being disintegrated or fractured as we all tend to be through life and through our own choosing and through circumstances and through lots of different things. We tend to come in broken, but God is the one that heals us, restores us to a life of integrity. So the faults in the vessels are healed and restored so that it can be used for good purposes. And then lastly, this invitation uh, by God to multiply, or this promise of God that he's going to multiply you, that he's going to multiply you. One thing that I didn't, we didn't get so far is that here comes God. He says, I am God Almighty. And that Hebrew word is El Shaddai. That word means all-sufficient, mighty, ever-present, majestic, overwhelming protector God. That's who I am. So when I show up on the scene, he is all-sufficient. He is mighty. He's ever-present. He's majestic. He's overwhelming. He protects, and he is God. And he says, walk before me. This invitation to live an integrated life and that I will multiply you greatly. God's invitation to a life of increasing influence and fruitfulness. This is kind of this last invitation God gives to Abraham and a promise to Abraham. that If you walk before me, if you live integrated before me, there's a promise by God that I will multiply you greatly. Mm. That word Abram, his name, Abram, it means high or exalted father. But then God gets a hold of him. He says, I'm going to change your name to Abraham, which means great father of a great multitude. And he doesn't even have any kids yet of his own legitimate children. This echoes God's original mandate, seems, to mankind. We find this in Genesis 128. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now instead of a command, he calls Abraham to a promise. A promise. Knowing that mankind cannot fulfill their end of the obligation, God says, I'm going to meet you, not in the middle, I'm going to meet you. And make up that massive difference. Walk before me, live with integrity, and I will multiply you. That's God's promise. Now listen now, this promise is not just for Abraham. Like it said, this is not just for you and your descendants, but this is an everlasting covenant. And it seems that Paul grabs a hold of that in the New Testament and says it like this. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures look forward to the time when God would make the Gentiles right in the sight, in his sight, because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. That means in Christ, as you walk before him, as you walk with integrity before him, there's a promise that he is going to multiply you. And God's going to do it. There's a temptation to do it in our own 
way in our own strength and our own ingenuity and our own creativity and our own strategy. Hey, this is what I think we can do. God's like, don't do that. That causes massive disruption. And it causes massive disruption in human history. If you kind of, it's a whole other message, but if you kind of trace back, warring peoples. It's interesting, the lines that go back to Abraham. Cultural mandate given to Abraham and to each of us in original creation. God calls us to live lives of fruitfulness. Jesus reminds us that a life of fruitfulness indicates that we are his disciples. If you're a disciple, you should be fruitful. If you're fruitful, it shows that you're a disciple. And that our heavenly Father is glorified when we bear much fruit. A life of fruitfulness flows from our intimate abiding with Jesus. It's a life you and I were created to live, a life we long to live, a life of fruitfulness and intimacy and integrity and an influence. A fruitful life is born out of a person being close to God that walks before him, that has allowed God to shape and mold and heal our lives. And it's out of these restored vessels that God's blessing can flow through you to the rest of the world. Psalm 1 said this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. And this seems to be pulling off the themes of the one who walks before God, God prospers. The one who walks well before God, who meditates on him, who orients their whole life around God, here's this promise that in all they do, they'll prosper. Jeremiah 17 <clears throat> says in a different way, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream, and it does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for, check this, it does not cease to bear fruit. It's a promise by God that if you walk well before him, live with integrity, that God will multiply you. It's a promise. Jesus even spoke of it in John 15. He says, I no longer call you slaves because the master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you and I appointed you to go and produce what lasting fruit so that my Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Man, when we think about kind of the equation of this, when we think about being fruitful uh, or living a life of increasing influence, we tend to kind of think like this. We tend to think the equation is like this. It's my abilities plus my experience. We got that equation up there. My abilities plus my experience plus my training plus my personality and appearance plus my past plus the experience or ex expectations of others. Got to throw that in there. <laughs> Can't leave that expectation out. And then that equals my assigned territory or my area of influence. That's kind of how we think when God calls us to do something, that we kind of we our mind kind of shifts to kind of this. Well, what do I got? 
Well, what do I have to offer? And we, we think kind of in a closed system. We think kind of in a closed system, to kind of use scientific terms. Whereas God, who specializes in working through normal people, that's you and me, <laughs> praise God, uh, working through normal people who believe he will do supernatural work through them, that equation looks a little bit different. God's math looks more like this. My willingness and weakness plus God's will and supernatural power equal my expanding territory, my expanding area of influence. It's not a closed system. This system is open, baby. And God loves to come in and meet the difference. The invitation to Abraham is an invitation to us all. God, El Shaddai, the great and overwhelming almighty God who keeps his promises, he is the one that's going to multiply you. People are so prone, I myself included, people are prone to underestimating what God can do with a surrendered will. We are so prone to underestimate. We, in our own effect, if we're honest, we're, we're merely just getting by and missing out on the kind of life that is only possible with God working in and through you. Not just you thinking about God, but God actually working in and through you. Think of it this way. It's as if God's people were merely, have been merely kind of living off kind of a, imagine kind of like a cup. That we kind of go to God's river every day and we just kind of say, hey, just kind of fill my cup every day. And we kind of just like, just, just fill my cup up enough so I can get through the day. And we kind of just, sometimes we can kind of live that kind of life. But yet, Imagine if that person was to kind of get a vision for their life and actually realize that this kind of cup is limiting what God can do through their life. And instead, they toss the cup and jump in the river. And that's what God wants to do with your life, that it's not just this controlled, measured out, in order for me to have kind of a well-balanced life, I need to kind of have a little, little bit of God in there and then... Yeah, that'll be the right seasoning of the kind of life. No, there's no way that you will ever glorify God with that kind of life, nor live out the kind of life that when you think of it, it's that, you, that your heart wants to actually fully live out. When you kind of measure it, when you kind of control it, God is saying, surrender to me, walk before me, have integrity. I'm going to heal those fractures, and then there's this promise, I will multiply you. I will multiply you. Asking God to bless you with a life of fruitfulness is not about you getting more. It's about crying out for the wonderful unlimited goodness that only God has the power to know about and able to give us. This kind of richness is what the writer was referring to in Proverbs. It says, the Lord's blessing is our greatest wealth. All of our work adds nothing to it. The Lord's blessing is our greatest wealth. When we ask God to multiply our lives, we leave it entirely up to God to decide how he's going to do that. Hmm? When we ask God to multiply it, we leave it up to God of how he's going to do that. This kind of radical trust in God's plans towards us has nothing in common 
with the kind of health and wealth gospel that you should ask God for kind of that new Tesla, that six-figure income, or any other material sign that you've found some way to cash in on your connection with God. But yet when God gets a hold of our hearts and we throw our lives entirely into the river of His presence and power, all of our other needs become secondary to what we really want for us to become wholly immersed in what God is trying to do in us, through us, and around us in this generation. And the very nature of God, El Shaddai, is to have goodness in us so, in so much abundance that it overflows into our unworthy lives and unto other people's lives. A goodness that draws our hearts to Him. A goodness that is so great that it heal, heals our fracturedness and our wounds. A goodness so powerful that in and through you, He is going to multiply you greatly. So here's a question. Do you have an expectation of fruitfulness over your life? Is there an expectation of ever-increasing influence over your life? Because it's God's the one that's going to back that up, not you. So might as well have that expectation that God is going to multiply you greatly. You and I need to refuse Satan's counterfeit agenda which is being sidelined and not expecting too much, living off that kind of cup a day. But instead, you and I need to insist on enjoying God's divine provision for our lives, for He is the one who's multiplied it. Man, in my own life, I've seen Him multiply time. Man, I was like a... I was a fair student. I kind of wanted to be one of those well-rounded students so I could... Kind of, I just didn't want to fail. So it was kind of like, hey, I'm just kind of like middle of the road. And uh, then God grabbed a hold of my heart. And um, I went from, without changing a thing, didn't change my study habits, didn't change anything. I went from a 2.6 to a 3.8. God multiplied time. He, without, it just, I've heard so many stories of God multiplying finances God multiplies finances, and not in kind of that weird health and wealth, give God the little thing, and God will, nothing like that kind of weird. But seriously, in faith, trusting God with finances and God multiplying those finances. I've heard God multiplying wisdom, uh, multiplying wisdom for parents over their children, God multiplying wisdom for business people, uh, uh, engineers, God, God giving, uh, multiplying wisdom over CEOs and just insight into Companies, man, God multiplies wisdom. God multiplies your life through the lives of others. And the one, the one storyline that I, that I would wish I could see, I don't know if that would ever happen, but if at the end or when you're, you know, with the Lord and you're strolling in heaven and you, if there's like a, you know, a heavenly AMC or something, and you kind of go watch a movie, but you could watch a movie of the lives that you impacted along the way. I think it would be a lot more than you think. Because God wants to multiply you greatly, and it's a promise by God. So let this be our prayer. Everything you've put under my care, God, take it and enlarge it. My business is the, is the territory or the area of influence you've entrusted to me. So God, I want you to uh, 
Well, he wants you to accept it as a significant opportunity to touch individual lives, your families, the business community, the larger world, asking him to enlarge or multiply you, who he is through you, only brings him delight. Lord, add to my family. Lord, add to the key relationships in my life. Lord, multiply the influence of my house for your glory. I don't think we realize that the places where we live, where we lay our head at night, those can become the places of the most influential places for the kingdom of God and kingdom transactions can happen is in the place of your own home. Lord, add. Lord, multiply. Lord, take. Oh God and King, please expand my opportunities and my impact in such a way that I touch more lives for your glory. It's having a heart like this that stands firm confidently that God is going to be the one that multiplies you. Not your own ingenuity, not your own suave-ness, it is God going to be the one that's going to multiply you. And God's inviting all of us, just like he did Abraham, to walk before him in a close relationship in every area of life, to be an integrated person, whole, blameless, only God can heal those fractured wounds. And out of that comes a promise of a fruitful life, a life of increasing influence for his glory. So let the Lord knock the dust off of your expectation over your life, of what he can do in and through your life, surrendered to him, saying yes to him, and what God can do with our weaknesses. Sometime, I mean, I kind of heard uh, yesterday, it was, it was beautiful. It's like the one thing that makes a Christian a Christian is that you're aware of your weakness. Is that you're aware and admit that you're broken. And I love that because that's where God takes us and with him creates stories that you'll tell your grandchildren. He is the one above all. He is El Shaddai, the all-sufficient, mighty, ever-present, majestic, overwhelming protector God. So ask God where you're leaning on your own strength, on your own wisdom, on your own effort, and allow God to move in and through you so that God can multiply you and what he does through you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you, God, for your promise over our lives. God, it's a promise you gave to Abraham, and that God, because in Christ, God, this eternal covenant becomes ours as well. And this invitation to walk before you, this invitation to live an integrated life, but also this promise of living a life that you multiply, God. God, I pray that you would take all of us and multiply us. God, I, t I pray that you would take what you've entrusted into our hands. Lord, whether it be relationships, a, a marriage, a roommate, a children, God, whatever relationships, God, I pray that you would take those relationships and multiply them, God. Multiply the richness and the depth of those relationships, God. Multiply your presence in those relationships, God. Lord, I pray that you would multiply even the resources that you've given us, that we would steward them well before you, that they are yours, and that, God, you would direct our hand. God, is how we can be hospitable, generous. Father, we want to be your people. 
that God, that glorify you. And Lord, we know that a fruitful life glorifies you. So Lord, I pray that you would take our lives in our weakness, but in our willingness, and combine that with who you are, and let, may we see our areas of influence increase for your glory. Lord, not for our own ego or own pride, but God, for you, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org. We'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.